Father, again, we rejoice because you have made us glad. We rejoice in what you have done for us. And, and Lord, if there are any here who do not yet know this wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we pray that even now they would come to know. And for those of us who do know, who do know, may we continue to rejoice in this gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're looking at the Christ- Oh yes, I'm sorry. Thank you, Angie. We do have children's church. For those kids who are aged four to seven, if your parents uh, would let you go, uh, you kids can go to our children's church. So we're doing our sermon series from the book of Matthew. We're looking at the Christmas story. Matthew spends the whole first chapter talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. And obviously at Christmas time, that's what we celebrate. That's what we're looking at today. But as I mentioned last week, we're going to keep going in the book of Matthew, even after Christmas. We're going to go all the way through chapter 7. So if you want to be reading and rereading Matthew chapters 1 through 7, uh, that's where we're going to be spending the next several months here at Cornerstone. But again, today, we're going to look at the Christmas story. God, in his mercy, sent his son to be our savior, to take care of our sin problem. It is a wonderful story. But imagine for a moment if it never happened. Imagine if God didn't reveal himself to us at all. In some of my recent sermons, I've been asking questions about how far would we go if we had to search for God? If God told us that I want you to climb the highest mountain and there I will meet with you, would you go and do that? How, how much effort would you put into searching for God if you had to? But what if we searched and searched and searched and could never find him? What if it was God's plan that he didn't want us to know him? What would we be? In a word, we would be lost. We would have no hope of knowing the answers to some of life's most important questions, like, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? If God did not reveal himself to us, we would be in utter darkness. But at Christmas, we remember something about the wonderful revelation of God that he wants us to know him. See, the Christmas story isn't just a story about the birth of a baby. It's the story of the incarnation where God the Son took on flesh and came to live among us that he might later die for our sins and invite us into eternal life. Now, yes, God had certainly revealed himself many times previously to the coming of his son. But at the coming of his son, we see the pinnacle of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the Christmas story. And we're going to look at it, like I said, from Matthew's perspective. And we're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25 today very familiar passage. We're going to look at this story from three perspectives. First, from the perspective of Joseph. And then we're going to look at two names of Jesus. Jesus and Emmanuel. So let's read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so again, we're looking first at this story from the perspective of Joseph. And Joseph is not the main character in the book of Matthew. Obviously, that's Jesus. But here, Joseph takes a prominent role in responding to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In verses 18 to 19, Joseph understandably reacts to his fiancée's pregnancy with disapproval. Joseph knew for certain that he was not the biological father of this baby. And up until this moment in history, every single pregnancy ever had started with a biological father. So it's understandable from Joseph's perspective why he would say to himself, I will divorce her quietly. Now, just a side note here. At this point, Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married, or you've probably heard the word betrothed. Um, Betrothal was in some ways like our American concept of engagement, but actually it was a stronger commitment. It was something that could only be broken by legal action of divorce. And and just a a side note off of a side note, I kind of like that stronger commitment language better than our American version of engagement. And, And to those of you who aren't married yet and are looking ahead to engagement, don't get engaged to somebody you don't plan to marry. Let your yes be your yes. I told Christine that when we were dating. I said, if if I propose to you and you say yes, that is my commitment to you that I will marry you. Engagement is not a trial period. And and that's not what it was to Joseph and Mary. Now, Now, Joseph didn't know the full story yet here. But if Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph during their betrothal, he would have had the right to divorce her. Now, let me be very clear here. Mary had done nothing wrong. Obviously, we we know the story. Mary had done nothing wrong. But but Joseph didn't know that yet. And being a righteous man, as it says in verse 19, he didn't want to shame Mary. And I like this picture of righteousness. I've been reading a book recently called Accidental Pharisees. And in it, the the author points out that, that Pharisees, for some reason, take pleasure in pointing out the sin of other people. And that's not a response that we should have. And I like Joseph's response better, even though he didn't know the full story yet. said he was a righteous man, and he wanted to do what was right, but he didn't want to do it in a way that unnecessarily hurt Mary. So that, that was part of what it meant for him in that context to be righteous. But in verse 20, Joseph learned what was really going on. An angel of the Lord came and appeared to him. It's one of five times in the first two chapters of Matthew that Joseph gets a message from God in such a way. So pretty important times here. The angels are speaking to them. And let's see what the angel said to Joseph. First of all, he called Joseph son of David. Now, if you missed my sermon last week, I read through that genealogical list in the first part of Matthew, and, and I made the point there that it was historically incredibly important that the Messiah would come from a son of David. Those are the promises given by God to his people, that he would raise up somebody from the line of David to be on that throne. 
And if you missed that sermon, it's, it's on our website, as are most of the sermons from the last couple of years, just so you know that. But historically, again, just very important that, that the Messiah came from the line of David. And then the next thing the angel said was, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Well, the angel said, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, we already knew that information. In verse 18, it was given to us. But now in verse 20, Joseph learns it. So twice in this passage, we see that this child came about through or from the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about it, this was God's plan. This had always been God's plan. This wasn't just some cover-up of a teenage pregnancy. This was the very plan of God, planned from eternity past, brought about now from God the Father, who planned it all, from God the Son, who came, and God the Holy Spirit, who the Son came through. All three members of the Trinity, very active in the coming of Jesus Christ. So God told Joseph what was going on. How would Joseph respond? Now think about this one from Joseph's perspective. If Joseph were to take Mary as his wife, what would the people around him think? She's already pregnant, and Joseph takes her to be his wife. People are going to think that Joseph was the father, the biological father. People were going to think that Joseph couldn't wait until marriage to sleep with Mary. Taking her as his wife would leave him open to public shame and dirty looks. What would Joseph do? Well, let's read verses 24 and 25 again. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, back in verse 19, we had already learned that Joseph was a righteous man. And in this context, to be righteous means to do what is right. And Joseph did what was right. It wasn't... I, I can imagine from Joseph's perspective it was a difficult thing for him to have to do to, to take this woman, this pregnant woman, as his wife. Again, the, the shame and the dirty looks that would come his way. But he knew that he had to do what was right. And he did it. As far as we can tell, he did everything that the Lord asked him to do. So as we look at it, this first perspective, we, we see Joseph, we see a righteous man. And just by way of application, what does that mean for us? Well, one of the things I think we can apply from this passage is that we should be people who do what's right as well, regardless of what people around us might think. There might be things that God asks you to do that you don't want to do. Will you do them anyways? There might be things that God asks you to do that will earn you a reputation, Maybe the reputation that you'll receive is, oh, you're the holy one, huh? You're a Christian. You're the, you're the Bible believer. Will we be that person anyways who does what is right regardless of what the people around us think? A verse I've been praying a lot for people in the congregation, and especially uh, students in the congregation, is Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the idea is that God reveals his plans to us and we need to be on board with those plans. Whatever it might cost us, whatever the people around us might think, we are to be on board with God's plan. Okay, let's move on now. And we're going to look at this passage now in light of the two names we see for this baby. The first one being, of course, Jesus. 
Now, names are obviously, in the Bible, very important. A lot of the, the names that you see in the Bible, especially the Old Testament names, have deep meaning to them. Uh, do you all know what your name means? Have you ever looked into that or asked your parents, why was I given this name? Um, I've asked my parents that, and the answer is, well, I was named after my great-grandpa. But uh, I did a little research. I always thought that the name Eric meant warrior. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's kind of a cool name. I'm, I'm a warrior, sure. Uh, but I, uh, why are you laughing? I'm, uh, <laughs> but actually, I researched the name Eric. I didn't know this until just this week. But the name Eric comes from two Scandinavian words, which mean eternal ruler. <laughs> so that's, yeah, yeah. Or, or ever powerful, whichever you like. So, uh, not saying you have to call me that, but uh, could ask my mom. You know, why'd you give me that name, Eternal Ruler? What? Yeah. Uh, anyways, and again, names are important. Christine and I are knee deep in the process of trying to figure out a name for our new baby who's coming at any moment here, and we want to give this baby a name that means something. Well, in our passage today, again, we see two names for Jesus. And the first one, the very name Jesus, is an important one. And verse 21 says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, do we have any baseball card collectors out there? If, when, when you were a kid, Rich, back there, I knew that about any other. Okay. Do you remember, uh, you know, I remember as a little kid, looking through baseball cards, and I would see some Latino players with the name Jesus. I think, isn't that blasphemous? How can they take the name Jesus? And uh, come to learn, though, that the name Jesus in Latino culture is actually a fairly common name. Lots of kids are given that name. Um, and it, it raised the question to me, how come we don't have the name Jesus given to babies in America? Well, the, I, have, I have two pop quiz questions for you, okay? So you guys got to be on your toes here a little bit. What common American name is the equivalent of Jesus? Joshua. Okay, good. I, I thought that you guys might know that one. Okay. So I have a little bit more difficult question for the, the second question. I just want you to raise your hand if you know this question, and then I'm going to call on some of you maybe who raise your hand. Okay, pop quiz question number two. What does the name Jesus mean? Who, by a show of hands here, who knows what the name Jesus means? We got two, three people in here. Okay, who should I call on? Should I call on? Uh, we'll call on one of our former missionaries here. Ed, what does the name Jesus mean? Uh, to save. To save. Close. Okay, George, you had your hand raised. God saves. Even closer. Ethan, you had your hand raised. There we go. That's that's even closer. The Lord saves, or or Yahweh Jehovah is salvation. Now, I find that interesting. How many of you in here, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you in here have been following Jesus for a long time and didn't know what the name Jesus means? Okay, you, I said you didn't have to show your hands, but... Uh, the, the, name Jesus, the name Jesus, look at your NIV foot. If you've got a, a Bible, it might give you a footnote right there. Mine says, letter C, Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. That's what the name Jesus means. Now, in Jesus' day, Jesus was a common name given to people. Lots of parents gave their kids the name Jesus in hope that the Lord would save. Um, now, in, in one sense, that name was simply a name of hope. Parents were giving it to their children thinking, I hope that God will bring about that salvation that he promised. But in another sense, when, when given to the God's very Son, 
the name Jesus takes on significant meaning. The Lord saves. Because Jesus himself is the Lord who saves. Now, in the Old Testament, it's very clear that God is the Savior. In Isaiah 45:21, it says, And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. And then Psalm 130, verse 8, says of the Lord, He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So clearly, salvation is God's business. He is the Savior. But if we look at the New Testament, and I were to ask you the question, Who is the Savior? What might you say? Well, I came up with a few different answers to it, and, and all of them are right. One answer you could give in the New Testament is that just generally speaking, God is Savior. That's true. Another answer that you could give in the New Testament, well, salvation is the work of the Trinity. All three members, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are all involved in salvation. And that would also be accurate. But there's a third answer. Reading the New Testament, you could accurately say that Jesus Christ is the Savior. So for this baby to be given the name the Lord saves is meant to show us that he is the Lord who saves. Now, as, as Brian said earlier in the call to worship, I like to make a big deal of that here at Cornerstone in my preaching, that, that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior. And uh, I, I'm going to do it again here, just because I, I love to do it, and at Christmas time, and especially with this name of Jesus, I just want you to know for sure what it means that Jesus is Savior and Lord. For him to be Savior means that we are sinners, that every single one of us had earned a death penalty by our own sins and we could not save ourselves. The, the penalty was too big. We, we could not rescue ourselves. We needed somebody outside of us to come and rescue us, and that's what Jesus Christ did. He came to be our Savior. And we, we know the rest of the, We look at Christmas today, but we know the Easter story as well, that he died on the cross for our sins as the perfect payment for our sins so that we could receive forgiveness and eternal life. That's what it means that Jesus Christ is Savior. That is the offer of life that God gives to us human beings to receive him and to receive forgiveness and eternal life. But like Brian said earlier this morning, the more difficult part of this is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for him to be Lord means not only that he takes the divine name of God for himself, but it also means that he is our master. You see, we come into this world assuming that we're in control of our own lives. That's why we sin. Do you know that? We sin because we think that we're in control, because we think that we have the right to live our lives however we want. But for Jesus to be Lord means that we are to submit to him. It means that he, he, as our master, as our king, wants to lead us and that we are to follow him, that we give up that control of our lives and say, I no longer want to direct my own life, but God, I give my life to you. That's what it means for Jesus Christ to be Lord. So all of that, all that wonderful message of Jesus saving us and being our Lord, it's all wrapped up in that one little name, Jesus. And I think it's a pretty amazing story. Now I was thinking about application here, and, and the application that I want for this part of this message as we think about the name Jesus, is first of all, if, if you haven't received Jesus as Savior and Lord, please do that. You can even talk to him in your heart right now and, and receive him as Savior and Lord. But for those of us who do know him, let's take time to remember this Christmas season. In, in all, all the hustle and bustle of gifts and travel and all of that, let's take time to remember the gift that is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Okay, and now we're going to move on to the next part of our passage where we're going to look at the name Emmanuel. Now, 
we probably don't need to do a pop quiz on this one because most of you probably know, and it says it right here in the passage, that Emmanuel means God with us. Or in the Hebrew, it can also mean God is with us. You can turn it into a sentence. But uh, let's read verses 22 and 23 again. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're told that Jesus was given this name to fulfill prophecy. It's a very famous prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now it's a bit tricky though. If I were to uh, give you a test question here and say, how is the prophecy of Isaiah 7 fulfilled? I imagine that a, a bunch of us, myself included, before I really studied it this week, would have a difficult time explaining exactly how it is that Jesus' birth fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 7. Now, to understand it, and this is what I want to do in this point here, I want to help you understand how Jesus fulfilled prophecy. So to understand how that specific prophecy was fulfilled, we need to understand the history of it. 700 years ago, when Isaiah was writing his book, God's people were under attack from enemy armies. There were enemy armies that were much larger than them that were coming to attack them, and the people were scared. The king was scared. And God told King Ahaz to ask for a sign. Now, King Ahaz was one of the wicked kings, and for some reason, perhaps in his pride, he said, no, God, I'm not going to put you to the test like that. And God's like, no, I want you to ask me. And even if you're not going to ask me, I tell you what, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. So God gave him the sign of Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Two verses later, the Lord revealed that while that boy, Emmanuel, was, was still a young boy, they, the, the nation of God would receive deliverance from their enemies. Now here's the key to understanding this prophecy. I think that this is one of many prophecies in the Bible where we see an initial fulfillment right away of the prophecy, but then a fuller fulfillment later. And, and like I said, that, that's oftentimes the way that prophecy works in the Bible. I found that very helpful. I learned that little tip in seminary, and I'm giving it to you now, that oftentimes in the Bible we see a prophecy fulfilled partially right away, but waiting to be fulfilled fully in Jesus Christ. And that's the way that I think we see it here. So in Isaiah's day, 700 years before Jesus was born, there was likely an initial fulfillment of this prophecy, and here's probably how it went. There was a woman who was a virgin at the time of that prophecy. And then later, perhaps through very normal means, like getting married and having a child in the usual way, she gave birth to a child, and they named that child Emmanuel. And while that child Emmanuel was still young, God delivered the nation, his people, from their enemies. But, if you go on to read the next two chapters of Isaiah, you see some other things about the prophecy of this child that couldn't be fulfilled about that child 700 years before Christ. If you look at Isaiah 9-6, we, we learn that the child is to be called Mighty God or Prince of Peace. So the prophecy of 714, Isaiah 7:14, awaited a fuller fulfillment of somebody who would come later. So 700 years later, we see Matthew writing, and he makes sure to tell us that when Jesus was born, he would be called Emmanuel in fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Now, it's interesting to me that in Isaiah's day, this prophecy meant deliverance from enemy armies. That was really the whole deal. They were being attacked, and God said, I'm going to rescue you. 
So a another pop quiz question that I could give you guys today. If Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, what enemy army did he defeat? Remember, there were, there were lots of people in Jesus' day who wanted him to defeat the Romans, right? The Israelites were living underneath the thumb of Roman oppression, and there were people in Jesus' day that were asking him, basically, will you do this? Will you deliver us from our enemies? But Jesus didn't do that. And I think I heard Tim say it here. What was your answer? What enemy army did Jesus defeat? Satan. Satan. Yeah. I like to call it, uh, he, he defeated the, the enemies of Satan and sin and death. That's what Jesus came to defeat. And all of that is wrapped up in this name and in this prophecy of Emmanuel. For God to be with us means that he will take care of everything that is needed for us, including our salvation, including deliverance from our worst enemies of sin and death and Satan. So the promise of God being with us, that's what the name Emmanuel means, God with us, that promise is one of the best promises in the Bible. And you might want to do this as you're reading through the Bible. I know you all do that uh, daily, just like I ask you to, so I know I don't need to say it again here, but um, as you're reading through the Bible, keep your eyes open for that promise of God being with his people. One of my favorites is at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21.3, talking about our eternal dwelling place with God. It says this, and listen to the word with in this one verse. <clears throat> now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's eternal desire for us is that we would be with him, that we would be delivered from our worst enemies of sin and death and Satan, and that we would get to live eternally with him. So for Jesus to be named God with us is a huge promise and blessing. Because Jesus is God with us, we can be with God forever. So God has revealed himself to us. I asked at the beginning, what if God, hasn't re what, what if God wouldn't reveal himself to us? But we know that he has because he loves us and he wants us to be with him. That's why his son is named Emmanuel, God with us. And by the way, being with God can only happen then through Emmanuel. The only way for us to be with God is for us to be with Emmanuel. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus took on human flesh, lived among us, became like us. He lived a perfect life so he could offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could have complete forgiveness and eternal life. Now I want to point out one other thing about this prophecy. Uh, it says that Jesus was born of a virgin. Now like I said, in Isaiah's day, that prophecy could very well have been fulfilled by somebody who was a, a virgin at the time of the prophecy, but a couple years later wasn't a virgin and gave birth to his son. And that, that very well could have been a natural understanding of a partial fulfillment of that prophecy. But even 200 years before Jesus came, uh, Jewish leaders started to look at that word virgin and start to think that there's something more to it. They started to look at that prophecy again and say, wait a second, something about that makes us think that there's more to come in this prophecy. Specifically centered around the word virgin. And now we know the rest of the story. 
that God chose that his son would actually be born of a woman who is a virgin, not who just used to be a virgin, but when Jesus was born, she was a virgin, so that the son in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And that is incredibly important. And for those of you that are looking for a little theological lesson here, it's called the hypostatic union. It's called the fact that Jesus Christ is both 100% God and 100% man. And it had to be that way for us to be delivered from our sins. Jesus had to be a man in order that he could stand as our substitute, as our sacrifice for sin. Our sin penalty deserved death. Jesus offered himself to death for our sins. 100% man. Somebody had to be a man to stand in our place. But as 100% God, he was able then to defeat the powers of sin and death and Satan and rise victorious from the grave. That's something that none of us could do. That's something that only God can do. And because Jesus was 100% God, he was able to do that. So the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin actually points us to this wonderful theological truth that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, and fully, therefore, able to be our Savior, so that we can be fully with God forever. Now, the same Jesus who came to be God with us told us that he wants to be with us always. The very last verse of Matthew 28:20, Jesus told his followers, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So again, the truth is that God wants us to know him. He doesn't take pleasure in playing a divine game of hide-and-seek. He wants us to know him and to have a relationship with him right now that lasts for the rest of eternity. That's why he sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So God wants us to be with him. What should our response be? Well, our response should be to get on board with God's plan. Again, I told you, I started off by looking at the story of Joseph. And when he learned what God's plan was, he needed to respond in faith and obedience. And it's that way for us now. As we hear this, God, this plan of the Lord who saves and of God being with us, God's plan is that we would give our lives fully to him and follow him the rest of the days of our lives, knowing him as Savior and following him as Lord. Our lives are to be taken up with following Jesus. So at Christmas time, I want you to know these wonderful truths. I, I'm glad that I was able to teach you that the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Now you know that. I hope you know it. Remember it the rest of your life. Maybe I'll give you another pop quiz later. I want you to know that God sent His Son Emmanuel as the fulfillment of prophecy. But I also want you to respond in God's in faith to God's plan for you, regardless of what those around you might think. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this wonderful plan of salvation that you have revealed to us through your Son. And Jesus, we praise you for being the Lord who saves. We praise you for being Emmanuel, God with us, that we might know that through the forgiveness of our sins, that we might have eternal life with you. I pray that everyone in this room would know that, and I pray that we would be people who carry this message to those around us as well. This message of your great love, this message of salvation, all of it wrapped up in your wonderful plan revealed to us at Christmas time. So God, we praise you and we want to continue to rejoice in who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.